This is an ABC podcast. Corbin and Ben, Monday and Thursday, ABC Sport, 5pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Of course, you can catch up anytime in the podcast store under the best of Grandstand Folder. It's Monday, so it's the voice of Goddard. Brendan Goddard to pull apart round 12 of the AFL Premiership season. Plenty of big issues to chop up. Ben's excited by the Formula Ones last night. We'll look ahead to Origin on Wednesday. First encounter between the Blues and the Maroons to be played from up in Townsville. And Jake, well not Jake, Logan Paul, the YouTuber in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. Earlier today, I'll pull apart some of that for you as well. G'day, Ben. Happy WA Day, Corbin. I know you try to distance yes. yourself from your West Aussie heritage, but it is WA Day out yep. west. So I just wanted to say a big happy WA Day to you. I actually had that marked down to introduce you by saying <laughs> happy WA Day. I thought you'd be at the, the Derby, Ben, the Fremantle mm. Derby and the Perth Derby. Not, not there mm. today? I'm not because I'm here with you, yes. Corbin. But, uh, yeah, it is a derby as well, given it's in WA, mm. not a derby as it is in the rest of the country. Actually... Had a funny zinger about that. There's a player in the A-League called Matt Derbyshire, and he came to town the other week to play for uh, MacArthur FC. What do you think I said, Corbin? What did you say, Ben? Given he's here in Perth, I think he's known as Matt Derbyshire this time around. I didn't mind it. I thought it wasn't bad. We've got a lot to get to. We are doing State of Origin in a different way today, so I'm looking forward to that. I've put a lot of time and effort into it. You're not sold on how the delivery will go, but we'll let the people be the judges. I'm two weeks, two weekends, Ben, into lockdown four here in mm. Melbourne. I feel like this week's either going to make or break me. So for, <laughs> just to give people a little bit of an insight, particularly big milestone for me next Monday, mm. you were meant to be here today, so you were flying into Melbourne. Obviously, those plans. Um, we're going to do the show live in the flesh yeah. together. I think we've never done that. No. So that obviously those plans torn up. Three of my closest friends were meant to come to Melbourne this week. So those plans are gone. I'm meant to be in Sydney next week, Ben, in the lead up to uh, Gallon Hooney, which is Wednesday night. So, you know, fight week. I love to get the town nice and early. So I was meant to be in Sydney on Monday and was going to chat to you from there. At this stage, we're still in lockdown. We're not meant to be out until Thursday night and then restrictions will be eased. But um, I'll, it'll it'll almost do me, I think, if we're still mm. in lockdown by the time we chat um, next Monday. So big week. Keep your fingers crossed for us here in uh, Melbourne. We're, we're looking for a little bit of a break. All right, flesh it out, throw it out, Ben. I've got some good stuff here. Uh, first of all, the top eight is set. Flesh it out, throw it out. I want to flesh this out, Corbin, and I want to say to you that you asked me this question three weeks ago, and once again I've been proven right because it is no set. I disagreed with you. There's a two-game buffer. Well, you challenged me a week later and said, oh, now it's actually changed. Do you wish to take that back? It had changed, but it's reverted back to what it was. So I was right when I said this is the top eight that we will have at the end of the season. It is set now. Almost, I know you spoke about Sydney being the team that's potentially the most at risk of slipping out. Mm. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about West Coast, given all of their injuries and how they're tracking. But who's, the top eight is set. This who, is who it will be. Who's meant to be taking their place out of the bottom ten teams? The Eagles are still winning enough games issue. to make it. Oh, mm. th- this is the real conversation around it, Ben. Is how many rounds down are we? Twelve. 
So now we yep. have 11 to go. Just imagine, Ben, and I know it's hard for you to sort of break with tradition and to think laterally on these things. <laughs> imagine if we had a playoff game where we could compete for positions and it was the top 10 and all of a sudden there were more teams in contention. Oh, how exciting would the race be for positions 9 and 10 at the moment, Ben, with the logjam of teams that are on, what is it, five wins at the moment. Is there four sides on the outside of the top eight? Oh, that would be an exciting race. But instead, you don't want any of that. I've explained this to you before. We already have playoff games. It's when fifth takes on eighth and sixth takes on seventh. Those are our play-in games. We could have some extra finals. We could have a more entertaining race. We could have bigger stakes in the regular season to finish the year. But you're happy with a round 12 close to the season. So that's all over on that front. Uh, David Teague's system got beat yesterday. Flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, We've got to flesh this out, don't we, Corbin? Uh, mm-hmm. You might have called him David Teague, but we're calling him A.V. Teague because there is no D. I, I don't understand how they don't defend, how they haven't improved their defensive systems. Um, and I said this this morning on my radio cross here in the West. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. They continue to lose the same way by the same margins. And they came up against a decimated West Coast Eagles team and couldn't even get the job against them at a venue that the Eagles have not won at this century. I I, I thought they're on a road to nowhere. The Teague train is either off the rails or is very quickly reaching the end of the line, I think. Yeah, the reason the Eagles haven't won there for this century, Ben, is they usually play the Sydney Swans yeah, there. So, so that's a, a distorted market. I, haven't, I can't remember a game like this this year, Ben, where a team has been clearly beaten from system v system. So you want to know how much you put down to the players, how much you put down to the coaching. Well, it's the West Coast Eagles yesterday, Ben, play a particular way. They were the remains of the West Coast Eagles yesterday. Mm. They're missing so many players. But you just plug all these guys in who, most of them, Ben, I hadn't even seen before. I remember speaking to you on the phone yesterday. I was like, who's that guy? Who's that guy on the West Coast Eagles team? There's so many new faces. And yet their system held up, Ben. They kicked three goals easily against a team which had more talent, were closer to their best 22, and their system's not good enough. So you can put that down to coaching. They're not more than the sum of their parts, which is the, the art of coaching. So why – if and we did an exercise a few weeks ago, Ben, mm. our top 10 power rankings of teams, guys that you would offer a long-term contract to. And remember I came out and said I'd have, I'd have three Carlton players that I would be happy to have as the cornerstone of my team going forward. I would have Mackay. Wiedering and Walsh, and I'd be happy to pick them and build the whole thing around them. They've already got three stars in this team, Ben, and they're not anything more than three stars mm. in a broader team. They're this is what we spoke about that. the other day, about the fact mm. that good coaching can become the multiplication symbol and, and can make uh, a sum of parts greater than the sum of its parts, whereas when it's just average, it's just the addition of that. That's just what it adds up to, unfortunately. Dreamtime in Perth. I want to do this in two parts. First of all, Dreamtime in Perth, the occasion. Flesh it out, throw it out. Flesh it out. Uh, I just want to make the point. I think they were restricted in some ways. So some people mentioned that the pre-game ceremony was slightly underwhelming. They were restricted because the ground was actually considered a quarantine site. So they couldn't have dances. They couldn't have acknowledgement of country actually out on the ground. So there was a dance that took place in the aisles of the grandstand. They were restricted by that. But all in all, you're a West Australian. It's WA Day. We spoke about this. This is a rabid football fan base. They were always going to sell out this game. And they're, they're theatre goers, they're event goers. When there was going to be an event like Dreamtime, I, I had absolutely zero doubts that they would sell, sell the ground out. Mate, they got 55, 
plus thousand there for the Perth mm. Glory, who played in a grand final. Ben, who, who aren't getting more than two and a half thousand per week now? No one really cares about the Perth Glory, but if you put it as a uh, big event and you tell people it's important, all of a sudden they'll go. And that's not to downplay mm. what happened on Saturday night because this was a great celebration of WA footy. And as I touched on on Thursday, Ben, the magnificent Aboriginal players uh, that have come out of WA, and they are the greats of WA footy. As a native Sandgroper, Ben, I was. I had goosebumps watching on the couch and seeing sort of the, the long walk across the Matagarup Bridge. It was a beautiful scene. And what a magnificent backdrop to stage the game there in Perth. Mm. It wasn't their first option, as Zadie Campbell told us. It wasn't the second option they were trying <laughs> to get to Darwin. But as a third option, Ben, it was a beautiful um, backdrop and setting for this game. So um, absolutely well done to, um, to WA and everyone who made it what it was. I will say in the aftermath, Ben, I felt the conversation, how it shifted so quickly to the grand final yeah. as a Sandgroper. Lacked a little bit of tact. Don't, don't let it take away from what was such a great day. It was, it's great by itself and everyone was proud to be part of it and supporting the Aboriginal community and everything the game represents. Don't let it be, oh, this is something as a dress rehearsal for us to get something bigger. Let it stand on its own as a really mm. cool thing that happened. As a Victorian, Ben, by the way, I didn't mind it. It was nice to give the Victorian government a little bit of a rev up and say, hey, if you can't get your house in order, we're going to come and pinch some of your events. So I was a little bit on both sides of the fence on that one. Uh, the Dreamtime game, Ben, the actual mm. four quarters of footy. Flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, flesh it out because we spoke so much about this. And what I wish to say is that Richmond are imitated but not yet duplicated because um, Essendon are trying their best to play that Richmond style. And we had David Mundy as part of our commentary team on Saturday night, clearly a very cerebral footballer, someone who reads the game exceptionally well. And he spoke about the fact that Essendon still don't trust that system quite as well as, as Richmond. They're a bit more like bees to the honeypot. They tend to swarm and apply the pressure, whereas Richmond will trust a couple of guys to go in and apply the pressure, keep their structure on the outside. So if you can get it to the outside against Essendon, you can zip away and you can hurt them. And uh, Richmond did that in many respects. They hold their structure a little bit better with their pressure. And it was a little bit like a a big cat in this instance playing with its mouse. And uh, when it really needed to, it could always put the game away. Yeah, I felt they put their foot on the accelerator a bit the week before against the Crows too. When it was time to step up and get it done, they did, and they did the same with Essendon. In retrospect, it felt like they were almost toying with Essendon. It wasn't the game at all, Ben, I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be finals-like, yeah. physical, high-intensity, high-pressure, high-tackle count. It was pretty bruise-free. It was entertaining enough as a watch, and there were lead changes, and Essendon came from a long way back to hit the front in the final quarter, so everyone went home happy, but... 40 tackles to 43. Essendon laid only 17 in the first half. When Essendon are up and on, they're laying 80 tackles a game, Ben, mm. and it is the trademark of their game. We didn't see that. And boy, did they butcher the footy. And nothing sort of indicated that more, Ben, by the stat that Richmond scored 101 points from turnover. Yeah. 101 points, which is the most that Richmond have done since 2005. And when you think about the fact that how that's been Richmond's game over the, mm. this premiership dynasty that they're in. They score points from turnover and they haven't scored that many during this entire run until Saturday night against the Bombers at Perth Stadium. So um, I was surprised the number was that high and that was probably a, a bit indicative of the game which played out. Yeah, agreed. Essendon were flat from very early on. Uh, the narrative around Melbourne, flesh it out, throw it out. I know you want to flesh it out. 
Just quickly for people like you, Ben, that uh, far too often, and it's usually the Victorian media where they make silly comments like, oh, if we're not exposed to them as much because they're playing elsewhere, even though you know you see every game nowadays on television. So they felt like there was this narrative leading into Friday night's game, oh, beware of the Brisbane Lions. They're creeping up on everyone. They've won seven in a row. And people like you, Ben, sort of say this stuff about Melbourne all the time. Oh, just wait for them to fall over. Wait for them to fall over. For anyone that's still running that narrative, you haven't been watching. You haven't been watching Melbourne through the first 11 rounds, 12 rounds now of the season. They have a system which holds up. They're strong defensively. They win in different ways. They've got everything covered. They're like Noah's Ark. They've got two of every animal. They are a beast. They are the best team in the competition. They've beaten all the contenders so far. They beat the Western Bulldogs, beat Geelong. Uh, Now they've beaten the Brisbane Lions. They lost one game by a point. And in my own mind, Ben, I'm not even counting that as a loss because there was a controversial decision decision late in the game. So they are so far and away the yardstick in the competition at the moment. And it's about time that we shift some of the conversation around the Gs. Corbin, I tend to agree with you. I love what I'm seeing from the Ds, but I'll give you an exercise. I won't even point it out for you. I'll let you go back and do the homework. Just go back and see who was top of the ladder midway through the season and see if it correlates mm-hmm. to the Premier. Yep. I think there's it's- a long way to go. There's a case that perhaps they are just at the apex of their game, peaking a mm-hmm. little too early. So. Okay. Uh, I'll just hold fire. We'll wait and see how they track through the second half of the season. For me, it's not about the numbers. It's not 11-on-1 that I'm sort of caught up with. It's the way they're playing and the way they're winning. Uh, Did Andy Brayshaw kick goal of the year? Flesh it out, throw it out. (laughs) Uh, We can flesh it out. I don't think it's goal of the year, but it was a pretty good goal. Uh, tackle applied by Chera, pressure from Brayshaw, Gather, and then the uh, the check side on the run was a pretty classy finish, wasn't it, yeah. from Andy Brayshaw? Now, you know I love Andy Brayshaw. Clubhouse leader for me. I, I was pretty impressed with that. And lastly, Ben, the Azerbaijan Formula One Grand Prix, which I saw you tweeting about along with... Mm. Our content director, I don't even think that's his title anymore, um, our boss at least, Tim Verrill, was tweeting about it. You two were going one for one, I think, during whatever was happening last night in the F1s. Flesh it out, throw it out. We're also messaging about it, Corbin. We've got to flesh <laughs> this out. Uh, this was big last night. The uh, Baku-Azerbaijan uh, track, uh, sorry, a street circuit Grand Prix. So I got there a little late, got home a little late to, uh, to flick on the TV and watch this because I'd been at Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs. Now, all of the talk was about the Pirelli tyres and whether they were up to scratch throughout this Grand Prix. Now, Max Verstappen is seriously challenging Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes this year. Mercedes and Hamilton have been the dominant figures for a a number of years. Now, the 23-year-old Verstappen was leading the race, having uh, gone past Lewis Hamilton in the championship standings, having won the the Monaco Grand Prix last time out. And with five laps to go, or a handful of laps to go, his back left tyre blew out, forcing him to crash into the wall. um, And unfortunately, he was out of the race. So they go back to the pits, they stop, they go back out on track. Perez of Red Bull is now leading from Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton goes onto the um, radio to the, the team and he says, look, guys, it's a marathon, not a sprint. He understands he's going to get 18 points for finishing second. You get 25 if you win, but that's largely inconsequential. It's not about the seven-point difference from second to first. It's about the fact he's making up 18 on Max Verstappen. They're talking on the broadcast. This could decide the championship. And then Lewis Hamilton, who hasn't made a mistake like this the whole time I've been watching Formula One for 10 years, out of nowhere, makes a dive up the inside of Perez on the first corner from the restart and goes off the track and sees every car still live in the race pass him. He ends up out of the points and gives 
Red Bull and Verstappen, the biggest free kick they're ever likely to receive. He should have made up 18 points on them, taken Mm. back the championship lead, and such an uncharacteristic mistake for the usually unflappable seasoned pro that is Lewis Hamilton. His greatest strength is the fact that he just doesn't make mistakes, and he made a monumental, unforgivable mistake last night. It was high drama. Unforgivable. There you go. Sounds He apologised to the team. I... I wouldn't have. I would have been incredibly frustrated and mm. disappointed in Lewis if I was Toto Wolf, the team boss, when he came back. Sounds enthralling, Ben. I can't mm. believe I missed it last night, the Formula One Grand Prix. You'll get your chance. We'll talk about uh, Logan Paul, no, whose name you didn't even remember. You called him been, Jake Paul. This is some YouTuber. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. I do remember Ben, as old school broadcasters would say. Speaking of people's names, we always remember. Brendan Goddard for the voice of Goddard coming up next. Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. Catch the award-winning series You Can't Ask That on ABC TV and iView. New season, no questions off limits. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I should answer that question. Take a front row seat as misunderstood Australians share their stories and answer questions you've always wanted to ask. I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of what everybody else was. The new season of You Can't Ask That, Wednesday nights on ABC TV or all episodes available to stream now on iView. You know how we roll these promos in, Ben, during the show every week? Just that one there. You can't ask that. The ABC <laughs> pump out some beautiful... Uh, it's a broad church. Highly entertaining um, television shows and various things that... Content <laughs> was the word I was searching for. That was what I was trying to come up with a minute ago. Uh, that, oh, I think that's just about our best show. You can't ask that. Yep. It's yeah. excellent. It's on iView for um, just to back up that. This is Corbin. Second best behind Corbin and Ben. Yeah. Standard. <laughs> We're not a visual medium just quite yet, but um, they've got the nod in that category. And after Offsiders, of course, as well, Ben, which is a really good show. <laughs> oh, no. The offsiders is number one. You can't ask that, of course, is number two. Oh, no. I'm on Offsiders this Sunday as well, so but just better sneak that in there as quickly as I can. Offsiders is definitely number one. That's a great show. That's also on iView. Then You Can't Ask That is just about the best show thereafter. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. It's that time again. You know the drill every Monday. Former St Kilda and Essendon champion Brendan Goddard joins us for the voice of Goddard. G'day, Beach. Jens, how are you? We've got a special guest, as you can see, today. So yeah. it's not you, Ben. It's, um, Little Hallie joining us. I'm on, da- I'm on dad duties, yep. Yeah. It's my wife's exercise time. Mm. She's, she's got to fit it in before the kids come home. She's very relaxed, very happy to be with us as well. Mm. Just perched there on your lap. Yeah, don't, don't jump the gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the half hour is still young. That's absolutely for sure. All right, Brendan, I've got the new ball today. I want to speak about A.V. Teague, we're calling him, no D. Let's have a listen to what he had to say after yesterday's defeat against the West Coast Eagles. But as the game went on, they just beat us in the contest. They were harder, tougher, and then their ball use on the outside. We've, we've got some work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, our decision-making, just the craft elements of, of being able to execute your role. Um, sitting down on the bench stood out to me. That was probably the thing that stood out to me. When we had, had a good play, a good, good look, our ability to execute versus what West Coast did and other teams have done. So... So that was him speaking post-game yesterday. You've led the discussion about this. You said a number of weeks ago, I thought at one point they'd become a good defensive team. They still haven't, and he's still not speaking about it. Why is that? I'm not sure. That's 
maybe that answers the question, doesn't it, about that that's not a huge focus for them. They think they can win other ways, which is fine, but they've just got to prove it. So they haven't proven that. And then they said good teams always fall back on their defence and their ability to stop the opposition from scoring when they're not offensively able to get their own game going. So it's the cornerstone to any good team. So they, they just don't have it. And maybe maybe we're right. They just, they just, it's not a place to, there's not a high importance placed on it. The definition that, by the looks of it. Yeah, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It Correct. feels like they keep losing the same way. Same way. How concerned Looks would the you same. Be it that? doesn't it doesn't again each week they look exciting at times because their their offense does click through patches and it's going it's going to do that for 120 minutes of football, right? So um but again when when the opposition are a good defensive team and they are able to stop you and uh Take away a bit of the momentum. You got you got to you got to fall back on, in my in, in my opinion, the defense team defense. So that that keeps you in the game. So then the the inability to stop the opposition from scoring um, is a really concern. And particularly when their offense and uh, isn't working, they don't have momentum, and then there's a good defensive team on the other end. So it again, it's just it's like you just said, it's not changing. It's looking the same. I gave him the benefit of the doubt where. It, I'm sure there is an importance placed on it because any good team, we talked about the balance between, you know, top four in defence and attack or, or mm. thereabouts, you have to be around the mark. And it's just, it's, I don't think it's really important to them. I can't remember a game quite like this this year where it's clearly a win for system over system. So the Eagles or whatever the remains mm. of the Eagles were yesterday, they had so many out and they were able to plug some pieces in but still play in the same overall system and then they lose... Same system. against, yep. Or they, they beat a team rather against a team who had more talent there yesterday and were closer to what their best 22 looked like but obviously clearly have those failings. So it feels like, Beach, the conversation around every team is do they not have the cattle and they can't carry out what the coach is trying to do or do they have the cattle and the coach can't get more than the sum of its parts out of this team. Uh, are you? Oh, where are you on that? Well, that's a million dollar question, right? And that's why we're, it's hard for us to say what they talk about internally from week to week because we're not there. So, but what we can make comment on is what we see on the weekend. And at the minute, I just don't think the coach and the coaches are implementing a plan that's sustainable and to keep their competitive. There's the competitive element from the players about taking responsibility about the situation, their own performances with effort. That's one thing. And effort covers up a lot of things. And it covers a lot of cracks. And But without effort, structure, game plan, you can throw all that out that we know it doesn't matter. But they've had inconsistencies with their effort, the players themselves. And then there's clearly a, like an inconsistency with game plan and, and structure and, and roles. And, and what Tegu was saying there too about just their inability to play your role is what he saw from ground level. Um, and that that's a little bit concerning because it sounded like there was messages or there was a clear plan for players to play a certain way and do what the teams expect and maybe even direct message from the coach on game day about playing a certain role and they just couldn't implement it. So, that, again, that's another concerning thing. But I don't think that's just a one, uh, one-off thing. Or one, you know, It happened last mm-hmm. week in Sydney. I, I think it's it's been prevalent. So So maybe there is... And for them to go in this badly, there's got to be a number of things going wrong. But at the minute, they're, they're, they don't have an identity. Yep. And it's funny, this, we might lead into it, but the St Kilda game, when they looked really good against Sydney second, 
even the back end of the first quarter when Sydney jumped them and the start of the second, it was all built on team defence, keeping the ball in the front half, forward pressure, midfielders making really early decisions when the ball goes forward, setting up the ground. Sydney struggled to get out and they had multiple opportunities, re-entries, stoppages, so more chances to score. And they looked really dangerous, got themselves back in the game. They had no Funny one. that, isn't it? Yeah, they, and they had no one to blame mm. but themselves in the finish. The Saints, um, Jack Higgins kicked 1-6. Max King had a set shot in the last quarter. Didn't look like he wanted it. Missed. Jack Higgins had three set shots in the final term. Missed them all. And, of course, we've got the entertaining headlines of Missy Higgins coming out of it. Yeah, that's right. Brett Ratton was asked about um, Jack Higgins, uh, understandably, post-game. That's his craft. He's a, he's a dangerous small forward. He gets lots of shots at goal. And to get seven shots at goal, he, he's probably... He's probably going to be best on if he kicks six one instead of one six. So um, he's had a he's had a fair game, but he just hasn't done the last part of it. And that's put the the ball through the sticks. But you know that's part of the game. He he's a professional. Uh, he needs to keep working hard. And some sometimes you have days where it just doesn't happen for you. But he just needs to get his routine right and. He's just one of a number of players that we're still working through that as well. There were similar themes too in the Adelaide-Collingwood game where Jamie Elliott kicks six straight, Tex Walker goes 2-6 at the other end. It's it's a continued theme, Beach. It almost seems like sort of real basic analysis that you know, bad kicking's bad football, for example, but mm, it's the yeah. one part of the game that hasn't really improved. Do you have a theory as to why that is? Why, is, why are we talking about goal kicking now the same way that we would have 30 years ago? Oh, there's... Uh, there's just a number of factors it's just not one thing it's players obviously they're more fatigued when they do there's more demands on the players uh, so they've got to work harder so when they do manage to get a set shot on goal they're more fatigued uh, teams are better at um, protecting and defending the corridor therefore you're getting shots from wider further out um, impossible angles all that kind of thing um, so there's a number you know there's heaps there's heaps of different factors so the game sadly the forwards don't just play inside 50 by themselves. They've got to get up and down the ground. Um, there's more numbers back. As I said, clogging up space. It's harder to score. And when you do, they give up the boundary in the pockets and um, all that kind of thing. So there's a number of factors. But when you have a set shot, you know, arguably from in front and percentages are you should kick it, then, then it's a different conversation, I think. But if you look at where shots have been taken, particularly in the last, you know, probably 10 years, it's made more difficult because teams have a high focus and they're better at defending back inside their 50 or D50, should I say. Do you have a strong opinion on St Kilda not allowing uh, no, King not, to work with Matthew Maddie, Lloyd? Maddie, Maddie Lloyd. Oh, not really. I, I don't know. Is there more to it than kind of what they kind of glossed over? And um, I don't think it's going to hurt. If it's a money thing and they just weren't willing to pay, I know, I know Lloyd, did he, did he say he was doing it for free? <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure that I'm not came sure. out. But, <laughs> not sure that came yeah, out. I he, know Lloyd, he loves his I money. Think, I, I, know he's, I know he's hit up others he's, or he's, clubs for a, a bit of coin for goal kicking. He certainly said publicly, I think it was a pro bono operation, but um, yeah, as to whether there was more to it or not. <laughs> but it couldn't hurt, really, yep. honestly. If, if, if King's reached out to him and wanted just to, you know, even if he doesn't work with him mm. uh, physically, just go and sit down with him and have a chat about goal kicking and about football. Like, surely you're going to learn something off a guy that's, been one of the great forwards of the competition the last two, mm-hmm. three decades. How much of it is personal development where I know there's all this sports science and we can only kick the ball so many times per week, for example, but you think if it was any other job and you wanted to upskill yourself in a particular area, why don't more players 
do work outside of their time at the footy club to go, right, I just I need to go and nail this aspect of the game, particularly if I'm a forward and I'm getting paid seven, eight hundred thousand a year. I've got to go down yeah. to my local park and kick out five hundred mm. footies this afternoon. It feels like that that has been lost in, in modern football that either the players don't invest in themselves privately outside of it. What does a Max King pay, pay Matthew Lloyd or a private goal kicking mm. coach? No, um, that's right. Yeah. Or a mind skills coach if it's a mental issue. Yeah. No, that, that's right. So that's one of my things, two different arguments, right? So you've got guys that literally have a poor technique that's working against them, you know, R.E. Joe Danaher, um, I think Nat a Fife. few others. That, Nat Fife. It's actually just poor technique. So that's actually harder. That's harder to change, especially when, a, you know, an even younger kid and Joey and Fife are a little bit older, but they've been doing it for even coming into the system, been kicking the same way for arguably 10, 12 years since they were seven, eight years old. Once they get older, it's it's ingrained in them. It's so hard to change technique once you're in the AFL system because, you know, how do you invest another or fast track 10 years of development into one or two, three? So, and then there's the element of the mental side of the game, which I think that's more prevalent than because most people and us in the media in particular and experts, they tend to always just go to, oh, that was a bad ball drop. He leant back on that one. He just didn't kick through it. He just stabbed at it. Like how I many did times all of those you yesterday? I'm like, feeling seen spell, right now. Mate. It's so annoying. It's like, nah, he actually got a, doesn't have a routine. And then mentally he was just fragile. He, he was thinking about the crowd. He's thinking about missing. There's a difference. And, and I like the, I like the analogy when you got guys that are really good field kicks or mm. good field kicks, wouldn't say really good and really poor in front of goal. And you can't tell me that that's more of a technique thing. That's got to be mental because once we know, once you're, generally having a set shot, you got more time to think about it. You got more time to think about all the things that can, could go wrong. You got more time to think about missing it and, and, and failing. So that's why I think more time should be spent on the mental side of the game, the mental approach, as opposed to just, if there's an obvious technique issue, then sure, you, of course you've got to work on that. But then obviously what can creep into your game is we talk about the yips and it's obviously prevalent in golf, but you've got a poor technique thing that then gets into your head like, uh, almost like a bit like uh, McKay, McKay um, from Carlton that he's obviously thinking about it a lot now too. So it becomes also a mental thing because he wants to snap the ball around a body as opposed to kick a drop pump because it's almost like a get out and mentally it's easier to do that because he's got an excuse, um, I think, than... Uh, and sadly, he might be a high percentage to kick a snap from anywhere on the ground than he is a drop punt. So there's a number of elements to it. But, yeah, I just think more time, like you said, should be spent more on the mental side of it, their mental approach when in front of goal than just, just technique, which uh, yeah. all the, you know, the expert commentary, all they uh, harp on. And one of my favourite stories, Mark Wacko Jacko. What he used to do when he was playing in the WAFL, believe it or not, BJ, was go around to the ground he was playing at that week take a photo of the goals at both ends, blow it up and put it on his wall apparently to familiarise <laughs> himself with what he'd be looking at when he was kicking for goals. So people think he was a little off-centre, but I didn't yeah. mind that as an approach. I want to ask you about this. I heard this on Saturday night in the post-game press conference and it just uh, piqued my interest. This is Damien Hardwick speaking after the game. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a bit of a, not an error on my part, but we sort of knew Essendon would push hard forward at three-quarter time uh, in the last quarter and I sort of forgot to mention that to the players and probably caught us off guard a little bit with regard to our, our preparation defensive setup for that. So uh, I was a little bit disappointed in myself, but the players got it, uh, got it together by the end and we uh, managed to get the result, which is a lot better. So Damien Hardwick, 
explaining that even when he makes a mistake from the coach's box, this is how good Richmond are that they can overcome that and kick the last seven goals of the game, <laughs> having conceded the first four of the fourth and coughed up the lead and still win. Yeah, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? I was, um, I was watching the game. I was admittingly playing some Call of Duty, but um, <laughs> I was up, I was up and about when uh, when Waterman kicked that goal to get Essen in front, and then uh, I actually got deep into a game of COD and uh, turned around. I knew there was about 13 minutes left when they hit the front and then I've turned around and they're four goals in front and then I've looked away and then all of a sudden they're, you know, there's, what was there, a minute and a half left and they've kicked seven goals in the space of like arguably 12 minutes. So it was extraordinary effort. So, I did, yeah, it's uh, it's funny that the good teams find a way themselves rather than, you know, Dimmer there was saying that I forgot to mention it, but they just managed to find a way. They identified it. Maybe... Yeah, the players on the ground identified it through that quarter. Uh, once they did hit the front Essendon, and they, they made tweaks and changes on field with the you know the senior guys and the leadership and how experienced they are now, made some tweaks on the field to um, get the result they did. But I, I think it was more about just the Essendon had been up for mm-hmm. a month, and I spoke to calls about it during the game. And prior, I was worried they were going to get smacked just because they'd uh, been so good for a month through a younger team. Obviously, the win last week against West Coast in Perth, the comeback win is always harder and travelling there the first time. And I know they stayed there, which is probably a little bit easier, but um, staying in a hotel for, you know, seven, eight days is never easy mm-hmm. um, and being confined to it. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, they, it was a gallon effort, but I just think they just ran out of steam in the end because they'd been up for a while. One, it feels like the Tigers are playing within themselves at the moment in the way that they're, they're just doing enough sort of week to week, even the week before in Adelaide and the, the occasion obviously motivated them on um, Saturday night. And, and it felt like a really big event. I didn't think the game, though, Beach, was sort of that, that high-intensity, frantic, high-tackle pressure mm. game that probably I think a few of us thought it was going to be going in given the styles of the two teams. Tackle count was really low. So Essendon only laid 40, 40. tackles, had 17 to half-time, and they averaged yeah. 64 for the season <laughs> and uh, when they're playing well, they get around 80 tackles. So it, it did feel Essendon were a little bit off that um, that, that wasn't sort of their best and, and Richmond probably played accordingly. Um, just to finish, Paige, I want to ask you about Bucks and obviously a big win for Collingwood on Saturday afternoon. So they get themselves to three and eight as opposed to being two and nine. They always said that a decision was going to be made on him on the back end of the season. Uh, he for now is siding with the current board who are going to be the group that will make the decision on his future on the short term. This is what Nathan Buckley said during the week. Yeah, I believe that most of those people have Collingwood's best interests at heart. Uh, yes, we're, we're struggling at the moment on field and our win-loss doesn't look great. Um, and there have been some, some challenges of, you know, in terms of the salary cap. Um, and obviously the Do Better report, which was really public. But I, there's been that much change that has taken place. I believe the people that are on the current board are the right people to take the club forward um, and, um, and, and believe in time that that will be uh, vindicated. So very defensive stylistically in the last few weeks. Opened up, pulled the trigger a bit more in the game against the Crows. And obviously they, they walk out with a, a five-point victory. Has he done enough at three and eight to be able to make the case mm-hmm. to the board that Things are on the right path. Well, yeah, we talked about you know, two weeks ago the game against Geelong being the worst game of footy we've arguably ever seen, or in recent <laughs> times anyway. But that was a starting point for them to be more competitive because when you uh, were going as bad as they were, they got a, you, you have to start somewhere. So they, they did that. They nearly got a win against a really good opposition. Um, just those small steps forward and improvement each week's arguably got them to win last week. So um, to answer your question, 
that they shouldn't be making a decision now. No, they've got time up their sleeve, so why rush into it? So continually communicate, um, however that may be, the current board and the current setup, communicate the bucks and just um, keep that open line of communication until, you know, because that's all that matters really internally. It doesn't matter, I guess, somewhat does. The message is outside the club because you are speaking to your, your members. Um, but it's uh, they've got time up their sleeve, so don't rush into anything. Uh, who's the best team in footy right now? Uh, Mel- Melbourne, aren't they? Yep. Have um, to be I agree. after the weekend. So it's still next week. We're in the bye, obviously, but uh, that win last week and what they were able to do and change after halftime mm. and respond. That's what good teams do. Yeah. And Hallie uh, got through the whole episode pretty well? Yep, she did. Yep. yep. We'll catch her. Uh, fighting her sleep, so I was. I we'll put her to sleep. I was, <laughs> I was expecting her to, to lose it a little bit. No, she's all good. Uh, we'll she's catch. She's infatuated with the lights, and she's paying a bit more attention to the television and stuff these days, which is not uh, not a good thing. Yeah, we'll uh, hear you over the weekend, Beach, and catch up with you next week on the Voice of Goddard. Sweet, thanks, boys. Brennan Goddard, St Kilda and Essendon champion, with us here on Corbin and Ben, Voice of Goddard, and as I said, back next Monday. Very well behaved, Tally. Mm. Um, very um for a bub that's takes a few months on. <laughs> this is Corbin and Ben. Plenty to get through. What are we, what are we doing next, Ben? Mm. We've got the origin. Okay, I'm ready to go. Yes, origin. Of course, on Wednesday night. So Ben's got a special preview for particularly people listening in southern states. If you're trying to find a way to buy in, and I'll chop up a little bit of Mayweather Paul as well. That uh, that main event was on a little earlier today. It's Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. So am I the only one with a secret that would end a relationship? No, he's not. Australia, we need to talk. We asked 60,000 Australians 600 questions and nothing was off limits. Should the vaccine be mandatory? Do I like my boss? Should politicians resign if they lie to the public? How often do I change my sheets? Um... Now we have a picture of Australia like never before. See where you fit at abc.net.au slash Australia Talks. a live feedback kind of show, Ben. Obviously, this doubles as a podcast. You can listen anytime. A lot of our audience join us then. Whatever you're up to in the best of grandstand uh, folder in the podcast store. But we have had some interactions live just off Twitter. John says, in stating that Western Australia are enthusiasts for big events, are you implying that Western Australians have more in common with Victorians than they'd like to admit? Well played, John. And the the Terrelgan Tiger as well, Um, Ben, who's one of our most loyal listeners right from the very start. Maybe a top 18 for the socialist AFL. Now, that's obviously a a little dip in the fact that I wanted to extend the competition to top 10. So I think Mm. he's more with you there than he is with me. And you also got one as well, Ben, about your little bit of feedback for you on the back of the Formula One. Yeah, Shanghai Shorty said uh, Lewis Hamilton forgot to turn his rear brakes back on for the start. Uh, and then that was why he was overshooting turn one. So, uh, yeah, people getting involved live today. Yeah, we do We do love your tweets, of course. You can hit us up directly. But what we do love is when you join us under the best of grandstand folder in the podcast store, you can leave a rating there. Anything that basically gets us any kind of credit, Ben, that we can show, we're more than happy to have that from you as well. So I appreciate your input. Tell me about Origin, Ben, on Wednesday night. Of course, the Blues and the Maroons was meant to be here in Melbourne. Instead, it's going to be in Townsville. 
If I'm an Aussie rules fan, Ben, and I, you know I call the rugby league, so I'm not putting myself in this category, but I was looking for a way to buy in and understand what yeah. was happening on Wednesday night. How do I do it? So I'm calling this the who's who in State of Origin. Now, we get this tired old coverage in the southern states. Whenever the rugby league State of Origin rolls around each year, Corbin, who would make the WA Victoria South Australia State of Origin teams so tired? We like to do things slightly differently here on uh, Corbin and Ben. So sports is understood through the stories, the players, the people involved, the villains, the heroes, what they're overcoming, etc. So this is predominantly an AFL show. So for the casual AFL fans watching State of Origin, I'm going to explain who is who across the two codes. Now, number one, Corbin, I'm going with the Trebojevic brothers. You'll see these two brothers playing tomorrow. Now, these are the Selwoods because there's actually four of these brothers. You've got Jake, Tom, the 19-year-old Ben, and Luke, who was on a training contract with Manly last year. He isn't anymore, but he was. Uh, Turbo Tom is is Joel. He's the best of the lot. They're a little bit more loved than the Selwoods, but they've got that wonderful boy-next-door feeling. They feel like the family you'd have living next door. So the Trebojeviches are the Selwoods. Number two, Cam Munster. Now, this is the Dane Swan of the NRL. Hangs around Olympic Park where the Melbourne Storm and Collingwood train. Very lovable larrikin. Very open about his social exploits. The fact he likes to have a drink. Famous photo last year of him looking in all sorts as he was hungover rolling up to State of Origin. A mercurial talent. Uh, Sort of came out of nowhere to become a very, very good player in the game. So Cam Munster is Dane Swan. In at number three, I've got James Tedesco. Now, he's Stephen Silvani. Let me explain why, Corbin. Italian heritage. Yes. Very good player. Where's number one? Plays fullback for the Blues. Of course, James Tedesco (laughs) is Stephen Silvani. It makes perfect sense. That's a tenuous link. Yep. Uh, At number four, I've got Ray Warren. This is Dennis Cometti, of course, uh, uh, Rabs yeah. is an OAM, the voice of rugby league. He's 77 years old. Dennis Cometti has is an AM, 72 years of age, the voice of their sport. Both were sacked early in their careers. Ray Warren from Channel 10 went on to become the voice of rugby league. Dennis Cometti was sacked as an FM disc jockey, mm. but became a, an integral part of commentary in the AFL. That's a very WA take. So Dennis mm. instead of Bruce? Wait until you get to my next one, Corbin. Okay. When you turn on the ABC to listen to our coverage tomorrow night, yes. you hear a gentleman called Johnny Gibbs. Yes. God. Now, we're from WA. Yep. This is the Carl Langdon of yes. the NRL. <laughs> so both played, you know, 100 games for Carl, 84 for Johnny Gibbs. Both very highly touted as juniors, but injury crueled them. Both went on to host nightly radio shows yes. in, their, uh, in their cities and are almost more well-recognised for their post-playing career media exploits mm. than their playing days. So Johnny Gibbs mm. is Carl Langdon. You um, may, may have sold Johnny's career just a little bit short. He well, was a, Johnny was a star. star. Yeah. They also, fun fact, they also roomed together at the Commonwealth Games <laughs> in what? Melbourne in 2006. So it's a nice little sort of parallel there That's between, very the, between the two. Uh, and then my last one, New South Wales is Victoria. In the NRL to the AFL. So the establishment states the New South Wales Rugby League became the ARL, became the NRL, like the VFL becoming the AFL. Ten teams in New South Wales, eight in Victoria for the AFL. The grand final is always in their state. HQ is there. Everyone else is outsiders. So that is the who's who 
in state of origin for tomorrow. Yeah, not bad, not bad. I'll, I'll give you a pass mark on some of that. I disagree with a fair portion of it. <laughs> oh, well, tell me <laughs> what. Okay, James Tedesco. So Stephen Silvani's a key position player. He's obviously a fullback. So he's he would translate more to... I oh, know you're just going with a bit of fun with the Blues, number mm. one, but he would translate more into a midfielder or someone like a... Um, trying to think. Maybe even like a Marcus Bontepelli, not as big, but obviously a star of the game, but a, a back who's obviously more like mm. would translate into a midfielder in our game. And people here in Melbourne, Ben, gee, if I open that door and the office here in Melbourne could, could hear you comparing Victorians to New South Wales, oh boy, Ben, that, that would not go down well. People here would mm. be a 100% in support of Queensland. And Corbin, what I would say to you is that you need to realise what you don't like in other people are the parts of yourself that annoy you. So you are the same. You are one in the same, New South Wales, Victoria. So the the weirdest thing, I I lived in New South Wales, obviously, Ben, for two years, moved to Melbourne, Mm. loved my time in Sydney. It was just circumstance that it was time to go, so it was time to go. But I would have happily stayed in, in Sydney for plenty more years on the back of that. And as soon as I got down here... All that Melbourneans want to talk to me about is, oh, how much better is it than New South Wales? I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Like, they're both really nice places, for example. But, boy, they take it personally, Ben, that it's, it almost has to be one or the other. So I've never understand, understood the weird Melbourne-Sydney thing. Like, if you run into someone from Sydney and you say, what do you think of Melbourne? They're like, oh, it's a nice place. I'm happy to go down for a weekend and spend a weekend in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, someone in Melbourne, what they think of Sydney. Oh, why would you ever go to Sydney? It's a shocking place. <laughs> Melbourne's so much better than Sydney. It's, it's the, traffic shocking. It is the weirdest vibe mm. ever. But I, I think I did pretty well with that. I'm as happy Jim, with that. As Jim Maxwell says about me, Ben, I'm a man of many colonies, mm. so I'm more than happy to, to fly the flag for both New South Wales and Victoria. And my home All right, state, I've of had course. my... I've had my fun here, Corbin, so I'm giving you some free reign to tell me about Floyd Mayweather against Logan Paul. Why was it a big deal and what what did you think about it? You were getting tweets mm. from uh, such well-known celebrities as Limo asking for your opinion <laughs> on it. Uh, it was everything I thought it would be, Ben. So Floyd Mayweather is a defensively orientated fighter, so if anyone thought it was going to be a high-action fight, that's not it. He tied Logan Paul out. Looks like he was going to knock him out in round six, seven, or eight. And in the end, he just carried him through to the finish line. They had an eight-round exhibition. There was no winner. The the uh, records didn't go on the line. So even though Floyd's 50-0, and 0, it's not a professional bout. It's an exhibition. So even had he lost, which he was never, ever going to, uh, he, he wouldn't have lost his, his record. So people are like, why would they do this? Why would this fight uh, take place? Clearly, for the money, it's what boxing is, Ben, is, is prize fighting at its core. So it's essentially putting on an event, trying to make the most amount of money possible out of it. If Floyd fought the best welterweight in the world right now, who's, in my opinion, Terence Crawford, but say you want to say Errol Spence, whatever, if he fought that figure, he would earn about $20 million, Ben, for that fight. And he would lose because he's 44 years of age and he's not in his prime and those guys are and he hasn't fought for five years. Instead, he fights a YouTuber who's a boxing novice and he's going to earn five times that. He's going to earn $100 million to mm. fight an eight-round exhibition. So why would you be having the more difficult fight for less money rather than putting on an exhibition? And this is where people say, oh, but what a, what a boxing think about that, as if there's a they in boxing, as if they're some entity that controls the sport of boxing. People need to change the way they think about this sport. So whatever you know about boxing or you think you know about boxing, just rub it out on the whiteboard, Ben, and start from this very premise. Premise. There's no they in boxing. So we say they in footy, and what we really mean is the AFL. We say they Mm. in rugby league, and we mean the NRL. There's no centralised body that controls boxing. What boxing is, is a series of independent contractors 
and they all get together, Ben, to put on an event. So if you and I decide that we want to have a prize fight, we put it on, we sell tickets, we split the revenue, whatever percentage that is, 60-40, mm, yep, 50-50, whatever it is, and we try to attract an audience for a fight. And then whatever money we make, we take away, and we walk on and we go and put on the next event. There is, there is no centralised authority. So the good part of that is there's no salary cap, so it's great for fighters because they can earn whatever they generate, minus overheads, mm. and then... But the bad side of it, Ben, is you don't often get the fights that you want to see. So it's not like the UFC, for example, who have a they. When we say they in mixed martial arts, we mean the UFC, who are the major governing body, and they force the major fights to take place. The bad side of that is the fighters don't earn anywhere near what they do in the sport of boxing, for example. So that's why every year when we do the rich list, Ben, and we sit here and we say, here's the top 10 richest athletes on the planet, more often than not, the richest athlete on the planet is the boxer for that reason. If you want to try and translate everything we've just seen today between Paul and Mayweather to an Australian perspective, that's Paul Gallen. So Paul Gallen is a footballer. He's got a profile. People know who he is. So he steps into the boxing ring. He brings an audience with him, all the Cronulla fans, and people already know who Paul Gallen is. He puts on a show against other footballers. And then because he's super competitive, Paul Gallen doesn't need to be doing this. He then says, I've already beaten the footballers. I'm going to try my luck against UFC fighters. And then I've beaten them. I'm going to try my luck against old heavyweight champions. And now he's fighting Justice Hooney next week, who's a young heavyweight champ in his prime, the Australian champion. So just to try and give you a little bit of a background as to boxing is prize fighting. It, it's not a, it's not like a body that oversees it that sort of makes sure which fights mm-hmm. are happening. Forget all the belts and all that rubbish. What essentially it is is who can put on the biggest event, make the most money. And then hardcore fight fans like me, for example, Ben, we know all the top guys and you know who the champs are and you have an idea in your own mind as to who's the best, the second best, and so on and so forth. I like it. Well explained. Mm. If it makes dollars, it makes sense. That's what they're going for, isn't it? Essentially what it is. And they... They would have made a lot of money and, um, yeah, everyone had if, – if it's for you, great. If it's not, then you don't have to buy it. So that's mm. pretty much just the best way I can explain what happened. Just a quick one before we get into overrated, underrated to, to wrap up, as we always do on the Monday. Uh, John Rahm in the Gulf, Corbin, did you see this? So he was – I heard – on my favourite show on the ABC, Offsiders, Ben, I mm. saw Alistair Nicholson speaking about it at the end of the program. But explain it to our listeners. So he had a six-shot lead after the third round, so through 54 holes. He was set to try and go back-to-back and become only the second player in history to win at Memorial, which is probably the biggest event. It's in the top six events for the year, along with the Players' Championship and the four majors. It's the course designed by Jack Nicholas, who's obviously a godfather figure, arguably the greatest golfer of all time, sits alongside Tiger Woods. John Rahm was leading by six shots, trying to mm. be like Tiger Woods and become the first dual winner at the event. Um, when he left the course and was told on the edge of the 18th green after the third round, you've returned a positive COVID test and you have to withdraw from the event. So he knew earlier in the week that mm. he'd been a close contact of someone who'd returned a positive test. Uh, he'd been doing tests daily and the Saturday test had come back positive. He found out after the round on Sunday and had to pull out. And Patrick Cantlay went on to, to win the Cantlay went on to win the event. And I think the guy that went and broke the news to him, neither of them were wearing face masks. He just went and patted yeah. him on the back and off they went. Bizarre. Gee, it's must be nice to have that much percentage of the population already vaccinated, Ben. Over in uh, in the US at the moment, obviously things starting to return to some kind of normality over there. Over. 
judging by history that overrated at this particular time, yeah, very overrated. Yeah, very overrated. Oh, underrated. Underrated. Yeah. Oh, that's underrated. That's awesome. All right, Corbin, overrated, underrated. The state of origin discussion in AFL about the state of origin <laughs> state teams each and every year when NRL state of origin rolls around. Uh, underrated in the sense that it should be more formalised. So the same way that we award all Australian jumpers, what's wrong with just awarding the honour of state teams? And players can yeah, have it in their, idea. in their plain honours. So they were picked in the state team. Obviously the team never plays, but it's... As we like to say about the All-Australian team, Ben, it's an award in itself to actually be picked yep. in that side. So even though you're not actually playing, it's recognition. You were due, but that's a that's a good Thank idea. Uh, the Wednesday night time slot for State of Origin, oh. overrated or underrated in the sense that suggestions of standalone weekends, etc. Underrated. Uh, I've lived in Sydney, Ben, as I mentioned before, when they moved it to the weekend. I, I didn't think it had the same kind of spark on the Sunday night. Love the midweek game. I think particularly the midweek game is great for non-rugby league heartland. So in Sydney and Brisbane, we're going to watch it anyway and throughout Queensland and New South Wales. But I think it captures more of... Australia when it's on a Wednesday night. It's a, it's a great slot for it. A chance to showcase the game, isn't it? Roger Federer pulling out of the French Open to preserve himself for Wimbledon. Overrated or underrated? Uh, underrated. I didn't have an issue with it the same way other people did. Uh, I think if he's if he doesn't feel like he's 100% and this will help him in the lead-up to Wimbledon, good on him. He collected the winner's purse for reaching the third round, whereas if he had a withdrawn previously and allowed the other guy to go through, he would have got less money. Um, he got to a certain point. He'd had enough. He pulled out. That's his right. Uh, well done for his, I think it was Berrettini who was meant to play him in the fourth mm. round goes through. The French Open is a grand slam overall. Uh, perfectly rated, but slightly overrated. It's the fourth of them in my imagination out of the four. The Long, s- boring tennis on clay. No. The split buys in the AFL. Uh, underrated. It's enough footy to get us through. It was awesome on Saturday to sit down and watch the three games back to back to back. I wasn't working, Ben, so it was, um, I took every single quarter in <laughs> across, what's that, uh, nine hours or something. So, um, And the games all had a little bit on Saturday. Oh, it's the best way to give everyone a buy, I think. Okay, the last one's a little wide, Corbin. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle welcomed their daughter into the world. Uh, they've announced that. Congratulations to them both. But they've named her Lilibet. Is that Lilibet. overrated or underrated? Ooh. Uh, underrated. Unique names are great, Ben. <laughs> if you can have a unique name and make it difficult for people to spell and write and say, there's nothing better in life, Ben, than when you go and get a, a juice and you have to say your name six times to someone and then they repeat it back to you wrong anyway. So I don't think Lily Bet will be looking for a juice. Or no, that's... will be asking the butler to make the juice. Uh, back Thursday from five, catch up. Best of Grandstand folder in the podcast store. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.